You're listening to Trek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. There is no escape. Don't make me destroy you. Luke, you do not yet realize your importance. You have only begun to discover your power. Join me, and I will complete your training. With our combined strength, we can end this destructive conflict and bring order to the galaxy. I'll never join you! If you only knew the power of the dark side, Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No. I am your father. Search your feelings, you know it to be true. No! No! Luke, you can destroy the Emperor. He has foreseen this. It is your destiny. Join me, and together we can rule the galaxy as father and son. Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole where Ruby is serving up the Corellian brandy and the Nerf blue milk. I hope you've got something fantastic from her because we have some amazing things to talk about this week. Before we do that, I just want to remind everybody that the 602 Club is part of the Trek FM network. You can find all of our shows at iTunes.com slash Trek FM. And of course, we're on Trek.FM. That is our website. We're also at Facebook at Facebook.com slash Trek FM. And we're on Twitter at Trek FM. If you would like to contact the show, go to Trek.FM slash contact. Choose a show. Choose the 602 Club and we'll get that email. We'd love to hear from you. And, of course, we're on our listeners-only discussion group, the Babel Conference, which is really the best place to have any discussion. Just type Babel into the search field on Facebook or click Discussion on the menu bar. Well, guys, I am so excited to be here to talk with you tonight. And before we dive into our subjects, let me introduce this fantastic panel here sitting at Ruby's with some fantastic drinks. Bruce Gibson, glad to have you back here in the 602 Club. Yes, and I'm sitting here with my Superman cup with blue milk skim. And thank you to Ruby for serving me such a great beverage this evening. Oh, nice. Did, she didn't spike it for you or anything? Like, uh, We're keeping that under wraps. It's kind of like that JJ thing. Keep it a little bit of a secret and not reveal it till later. Not a mystery <laughs> box, but it's a mystery cup. So I like it. I mm-hmm. like it. John Mills, it's great to have you back in the 602. It's great to be back, Matt. Thanks for uh, having me on here. And uh, I'm, I'm drinking a uh, post-road pumpkin ale 
Ruby had them oh, shipped okay. in for me. Yeah, celebrating the season. When we're recording this, it is the fall time, so the perfect time to have a pumpkin ale. All times are the right times for pumpkin ales, apparently. Now, they sell them year-round now. I know you are a connoisseur of pumpkin ales and ale in general. So if you did have to recommend your top three, we, we are in the 602 Club, your top three pumpkin ales for people to try this season, what would they be? Uh, Red Hook. Um, Red Hook has a good pumpkin lager. I would steer uh, people toward the um, Williamsburg Ale Works uh, pumpkin ale is very good. And then uh, there is also the, uh, the Dogfish Head Brewery. Uh, their pumpkin ale is very good. Those would be my top three for this season. See, that's, that's a little, just a little bit of side note for you guys. I mean, we're in the 602. I figured we should ask for recommendations. So that's, that's great, John. I think everybody, I'm, I'm excited to, to try maybe some of those pumpkin ales. So I'm terrified that I could rattle them off. <laughs> I'm impressed. Craig's really rubbing off on there. you there from uh, Words with Nerds. So uh, way to go, yeah. Craig. Fantastic job. Well, guys, um, I, I, do you want to talk about, I mean, there was a poster and a trailer that came out yesterday for a, a, a small indie film. Um, and uh, so, okay, The Force Awakens, all kidding aside, new poster. I, I just want to yeah. get, we don't want to talk this to death. This movie is going to be out in a few months, and our words are going to be irrelevant at that point um, because we'll have gotten 90% wrong and probably 10% right. So I just kind of wanted to get your impressions. Bruce, for you, the the poster what do you think i really like the poster and let me just say you said a few months i mean we're less That's than true. two months believe me i'm counting down <laughs> uh but the poster i've heard some people saying it's a little too busy and it's not drew struzan but i don't care i thought it was a great poster i love seeing han and leia together they're right underneath ray which makes me think there's more of that connection of ray could be their daughter i don't know and then i like her her staff and Kylo Ren's saber, how they parallel each other. And I think there's a significant message there. I'm not going to try to guess what that is right now, but Twins. just I want everybody to just kind of think about that one. What was that? Did you hear that goodbye? <laughs> but nope. uh, no, I love the poster. I thought it was great. I can't wait. I'm looking at the bare wall that's going to hang on. I can't wait to put it up there. What about you, John? <laughs> uh, I would fall into the camp of thinking that it's too busy. I'm not saying that as a knock like it's a bad poster i'm just saying it's for my taste it's a little busy um like it, i would have actually subtracted the old crew from the center and just had the focus be on the new crew but i understand what they're going for i understand why they felt obligated to have you know han leia 3po chewy r2 all all grouped in there i get that it's not a knock it's just if it were me i would i would have made it a little less busy there and I thought that uh, what what really grabbed me, because I have worked very hard to stay spoiler-free, was to see a Death Star-like structure on there, um, which I know it doesn't look exactly like the Death Star, but it, it looks sort of like Macquarie's old first initial sort of like sketching outs of the Death Star. So that was that was surprising to me. Um, but, uh, you know, overall, it, like it, it accomplished what it was supposed to. I was like, okay, cool. I, I know that after I see this movie, I'm going to get the significance of every picture that they've chosen to put on here and why Luke isn't there. I just feel like that somebody in the First Order is like, okay, what are we going to do to defeat this this New Republic? 
and this resistance. <laughs> well, we've got this plan for a planet, um, and maybe we turn it into a weapon. Haven't we done that before twice? Yeah, but this time it's going to be like a planet that we use. We're not just going to build a whole <laughs> new space station. We'll just use part of a planet. What do we call it? Um, Starkiller base? Okay, it sounds good. Third time's the charm. That's it. That's that's what we'll call yes. it. Forget Starkiller base. Third time's the charm. That's what we're going to call it. See, this is this is so interesting to me because even though the words Starkiller base for me, uh, like th those were those took me off guard. I didn't realize that such a thing existed um, before somebody that's not named Matthew Rushing blew that for me on Twitter. Would you happen to know who that is, Bruce? Mm, I wonder who that was. I wonder who, I wonder who that could be. I yeah. No, I, I, I like it doesn't I'm take so sorry. I, just, I really apologize for that jerk. <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> I did. I, you know what? I, I did catch that um, the uh, Captain Phasma and the troops on the bottom, very reminiscent to me of the character poster for Django Fett for Attack yeah. of the Clones. Oh, her name's yeah. Captain Phasma? Oh. There it goes. That's yes. done. Yes, because we all know that the Starkiller base toy is sitting right next to the Captain Phasma toy in Toys yeah, R Us. Exactly. You're right. You, you busted me, Bruce. You got <laughs> it's me. It's a really... I tell you what, that Black Series... Starkiller base is just huge. Uh, it, yeah, it's it doesn't even. It, it, <laughs> oh, the Lego I'm one need is to get a bigger house, guys. So, um, I, you know, I personally I like this poster, and I'll say this: to me, it is. It feels like a mashup of all the different styles of posters that they've done, you know, for the last what forty years now with Star Wars. It just it feels like. Everything we've kind of come to expect from some kind of Star Wars art. It's not Struzan, but of course, the original posters for the original series, in fact, they're hanging on your wall there, Bruce. I can see them right now, and nobody else can, but those aren't Struzan either. So I didn't have a problem with them choosing a different artist and maybe trying to create, you know, each trilogy has its own feel. And so maybe they're trying to create their own feel here, and I, good for them. Good for them not just pulling the nostalgia factor times a thousand by giving us, a, you know, a Struzan poster and saying, we do want to say this is a new trilogy. So well done. I, I think this is a cool poster. I, I like it. It's bright and fun and, and it's got a lot going on, but I, I don't mind that. And um, yeah, I think... Bruce, you touched on something, and there's some hints in here. I think when we look at this poster after we see the movie, we're going to go, oh, duh. Um, I, I I think Kylo Ren and somehow um, Ray might be our twins for this. Uh, I, I That's my guess, uh, is that they're somehow related um, and that there's solos and... Yeah, I think Finn might be holding that lightsaber, but I don't think he's our Jedi to follow in this um, this film. So, and then in this trilogy, and as I say, I think we'll have two Jedi. Yeah, we I could, agree. we could, uh, which I think would be great. So, jumping into the trailer real quick, and and again, I don't want to spend a too much time on your thoughts and and feelings uh, after we've seen the last trailer before we jump into The Force Awakens. This trailer, when I saw it, I thought this feels like a J.J. film. Just yes. certain ways the camera moves, certain shots. 
Some shots even look like yeah. very similar to what was seen in Star Trek Into Darkness. Yep. Uh, so I, I wouldn't say it bothered me too much, but it, I had the same concerns with The Phantom Menace when it was coming out. I don't want it to feel too far removed from the other films. I want them to fit together nicely mm-hmm. in, in their visuals and in, in the way they're shot. Uh, but outside of that, I thought it was an exciting trailer. Uh, I of course watched it over and over and over again. My favorite shot was Finn's TIE fighter, uh, spiral spiraling out of control mm. down towards the planet. Like it just got hit by the, the star destroyer behind it. I thought that was a cool shot. Yeah, that is a cool shot. That is a cool shot uh, for, for me. It was you know, after the initial um, seeing of it, uh, you know, studying it a, a couple more times as everybody else did, like looking at it was, I, I approached it as sort of a what have we learned sort of thing. Uh, one thing is, you know, yes, the 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 Falcon traveling through hyperspace looks like Star Trek 09 and warp, which is fine because I th- th- my first reaction when I saw Star Trek 09 and I saw the warp effect is I was I said. Looks, you know, that's kind of a, a hyperspace kind of feel. So it translates well for me. I like that he snuck in his lens flare into the trailer. Um, I thought mm-hmm. that was very classy of him. I, I appreciate him doing that. Um, but in terms of what have we learned, uh, Kylo Ren apparently doesn't need his uh, helmet or mask to live because when he's approaching Finn um, in the forest, he doesn't have anything on his head. That's his hair flowing uh, in the in the breeze as he's walking forward, um, and that there are obviously uh, going to be some locales that are unexpected. I actually, I'm probably going to be a hundred percent wrong, but I want to say it just in case. What popped into my head the third time seeing the trailer was possibly they're on Kashyyyk, because that background with Michael Skellig where they're filming looks like it. I'm probably wrong. I am probably wrong, but it was reminiscent of what Kashyyyk looked like to me in episode three. Yeah, that's a good thought. Um, You know, I I will say the second trailer is the one that gave me the feels. This was just a cool trailer. Um, I will say I think this feels, this trailer made me feel more like action filmy than it did make me feel like, oh, this is the new Star Wars film. I, I think the second trailer did a better job of giving me the Star Wars feel because you had Luke's voice and then you end with Han saying, Chewie, we're home. You know, I, you do that and, and it feels like Star Wars. This, the best part about it for me was the way that I felt like the trailer was saying, here finally this is your protagonist. This is your main protagonist and it's Ray." And she's the one that you're going to be following. She's your new Luke. She's the one who's on the, you know, I mean, it couldn't be any clearer. She's on the desert planet. She'd probably love to get off of this place. She has her own almost twin sons moment when she's kind of walking, you know, as she's found BB-8, you know. I mean, I love that. And I'm so jazzed that I feel like she's the one that we're really following. And in two years, we're talking about the poster. She's the one who's the biggest on the poster next to Kylo Ren. So I, I love that. I, I'm And I, as much as we, you know, Finn might be holding the lightsaber, but he also looks like he's going to crap his pants uh, as Kylo comes after him. So I don't think he, he could be Jedi too. Maybe we'll have two in this film. 
But well, there's a lot of scenes Finn looks like he's going to crap his. That's pants. true, yeah. um, but I I that was the thing that really excited me because Luke was my first entry into Star Wars. Han was never my favorite character. Uh, it was always Luke, and so the fact that it feels like Rey is going to be that Luke character really excites me. And this trailer, I think, was full of that. And other than that, I mean, the movie looks great. It looks like it's going to be fantastic. Um, I hope it's not too much a one-for-one one of A New Hope because so many of the beats feel like parts of A New Hope. So I'm really interested to just see where they go with this. So, I, I mean, I, it's at this point, I don't want to say too much more about it because, I mean, like you said, we're going to be seeing it in a month and a half. It doesn't even matter. So we'll talk about it then. Yeah, that's that's true. That's a fair point. But I, I do, but I, I do want to say that I had at least one friend reach out to me and to speak to your idea of, you know, beat for beat a new hope, I don't think that's so much a concern as there's so much Han focus in the trailer that one of my friends actually sent me a text message and said, This this is starting to feel a little too fanboyish. And I allayed his fears and I was like, No, 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 no. You you know, that that's a little too much to say, but like it, it it is this trailer was in that territory of Luke's absence was way conspicuous. Um, and maybe that's the hook for the Star Wars fans. Maybe this is constructed like an action movie trailer to get the average people in the door. And then Luke's absence is what makes us obsessive fans get in the door because we've got to find out why isn't Luke in this trailer. So that's just my two cents. Well, and I'll say, you know, it's been put all over Twitter. I'm not saying anything everybody hasn't already heard is, John, you put so eloquently today with the Nerds with Words uh, Twitter account. The day where everybody has already said everything they've thought about Star Wars, and we've yeah. all heard it. So, But I do love that there, these characters have grown. Han goes from being the cynic in Episode Four to now being the person who's passing on the mythology of saying no yeah. it's it's all true everything you've heard about the jedi and what i loved about that was it's not just the original truly that's all true it's the entire saga that they would have heard about so far that's all true the jedi of yeah. old the, the 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 jedi that you've heard about luke skywalker the force the 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 good and the bad side of the force it's all True, and I, Han, who used to scoff at it, now I'm a firm believer. What a great story arc for uh, you know Harrison Ford to get to play. I, you know what, I agree, and I know what I, I'm. I'm sorry to stay focused on the trailer, but like that was another thing that Han, being the 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 reformed cynic, is also great from the point of view. Um, I, I was talking with somebody today, and they said, "Well, wait a minute, so." They don't believe in the in the Jedi, but what about the original trilogy? It was only 30 years prior. And I, I had this sort of stunning moment of realization where I said, to these two characters, Ray and Finn, the original trilogy was 30 years ago, yes, when there was like a Jedi out there. And people didn't know the truth about Palpatine and Vader necessarily. And so you're, you know, you're down to this small group of Jedi. So the heyday of the Jedi, the prequels to them truly is ancient history. It's almost like a century in the past. So like, I do think a moment like that is necessary. And I do agree that it is beautiful that Han is the one that, that gets to say it. I mean, when you think about it, the prequels are the world war two era to them, 
where yeah. we are now. When you think how far removed, you know, we're talking 60, you know, or about 60 years probably about this point. So yeah. it is crazy to think. And then, of course, you know, we also have to talk about what Palpatine did to the, the universe and scrubbing the Jedi and maligning them, make them look like the bad guys. Now, what I do love is the books have done a great job of saying there are plenty of people who didn't totally buy that BS that he put out, but that's a that's a small margin of people in the galaxy. Most people kind of thought that they were the the bad guys. So, yeah, this is I'm I'm really excited to to get to this film and and finally see it, and then have all the ancillary materials come out, especially when we can really fill in what the heck has Luke been doing for the last thirty years? Because I remember Yoda. And we're about to talk about it, telling him, you know, hey, when gone am I, the last of the Jedi will you be? Of course, that's Return of the Jedi, but pass on what you have learned. Well, I think Luke's falling down on the job right now, at least so far of what we've seen, because I don't see no other Jedi running around. And uh, Kylo Ren's only talking about destroying the last Jedi, so... My bro Luke's Unless got some work to do. he was trained by that Jedi early on. That is yeah, true. I think that, that could be the reason. Yeah. Hmm, that is a good point. Bruce, man. Okay. I have so much to say I'm holding back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those things. I mean, you could speculate for hours, but I mean, I, I really wanted to respect the listeners and say, look, we could talk about this for hours because that's just what we do as Star Wars fans. But I'd rather talk about it when we get to the film, and we'll do a two-hour show for you then about the actual movie and, you know, break it all down. But uh, we've got something else to get to because we're finally at The Empire Strikes Back, which, for me, this film was, was huge. Now, as everybody knows, I saw episode five right after episode four because we literally pulled the you know cassette disc out of the 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 video cassette disc out of the vcr popped in empire strikes back and started it so it wasn't a long wait for me but i wanted to hear about your guys episode five's experiences first uh because mine's not as exciting uh so for you john what was your experience with episode five? Well, uh, I, again, sh- these episodes seem to be a chance for me to show my age constantly. But uh, I, I remember seeing episode five uh, in the movie theater with my dad. And I, re- I have some very specific personal memories that go along with it. But my favorite one from that evening is that we're sitting there in the movie theater. It was in Aspen Hill, Maryland. Uh, that movie theater no longer exists. I still remember roughly where we were sitting in the theater. And I remember, because this is the days before they had TV commercials playing in front of movies, you young whippersnappers and all of that. They were playing the soundtrack for Star Wars as we were sitting there waiting for the movie to start. And I'm sitting there with my dad, and they're playing it over the sound system, and the cantina music came on from Star Wars. And my dad loved the zany parts of star wars um and he started uh embarrassing me like he started being silly and uh that was and then that led into the empire strikes back and i you know i mean you know when you're a kid and it's like a a real movie theater experience like that 
the main things I walked away with were the that Bespin was super awesome. I couldn't believe Han was frozen. And Tauntaun guts looked like macaroni. And I told anybody that would listen to me. <laughs> I love that. Oh, I just wanted to... To eat that tauntaun up, he just looked like, you know, <laughs> white cheese macaroni. Yeah, a little Alfredo sauce on there. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Bruce? I don't think I can eat macaroni again now <laughs> after that. And I thought it smelled um, bad <laughs> on the outside. <laughs> well, you know, similar to John, I saw it. In the movie theater in 1980, also in Maryland, but it was in Hagerstown. Oh, Maryland. Hagerstown. Holla. Yeah, <laughs> that's where I grew up. So uh, I saw the first Star Wars movie in 77. And so now I'm in the theater for this one and so excited to see not Star Wars, but to see The Empire Strikes Back. And the film starts with a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And then the Star Wars logo comes up. And I'm thinking, oh, no, they're playing (laughs) Star Wars, not The Empire Strikes Back. (laughs) They're playing the wrong movie. And then I thought, well, this is good because I can catch up on this one. It's been a while since I've seen Star Wars. And then I'll go see The Empire Strikes Back after this. And then the crawl comes up and says, episode V. (laughs) The Empire Strikes Back. And I'm like, what? what is that? What is a V? Is that a Roman numeral five? But that doesn't make sense because this is the second movie. And maybe that V is supposed to be like holding up, you know, your fingers like a two. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess that's the in, Victory! in universe number two. <laughs> so I was a very confused young man during that movie. Um, but afterwards, oh, and, and just, uh, and then of course, about a year later, I resaw star wars and saw it said episode four and i was like i don't remember seeing that before and why where's one two and three i'm so confused Bruce, but anyway Bruce, after Bruce, you have to remember it was always there you you just miss all it you just don't remember a That's massive jedi mind trick it, yeah it was yeah i always meant it to put it there but i i yeah yeah he, he always he, he knows exactly what he's doing all the time it's all planned ahead but after i left the theater uh it was a very weird experience because I was thrilled with the movie, but at the same time, I couldn't believe that I had to wait three years to find out if Han really lives and if Vader is really Luke's father. I I, I just remember walking out saying, my dad, I can't wait three years. This is torture. How could they do this to us? So it was kind of devastating when I walked out of there. You know, it was interesting for me because mine is different. And, you know, we're sitting on the living room at the floor. We pull out episode four. We put in episode five and it starts. And this movie just like captivated me in a way that went beyond Star Wars because we finished the whole saga. We went to sleep in the living room because we're having the sleepover with me and my best friends because it's my birthday. We wake up in the middle of the night. And I pop back in episode five and I watch it again. Like there's something about this movie that from even then, you know, I'd seen them all. It's all clean slate. This one was already my favorite. And I I don't, 
I know now why that's the case, but I didn't then. But there's something about the way this movie's constructed and the way this movie played and what it did with the characters and everything like that. This movie has had a huge impact about how I feel about film. And I think I feel the way I do about film when I com- when it comes to the idea of like that film is about story and about character because of episode five. Because of the way that everything deepened and the movie was really about the characters and not so much the ancillary stuff that was going on. And I still care about that. That's still the thing that draws me into any movie. It's the story and it's the characters. Effects are cool. Effects are great. All that stuff is awesome. And this movie had that. Even on VHS, I was blown away by what I was seeing. You know, the the asteroid chase and Bespin and, you know, I mean, everything about this movie, the walker scene, which still I'm watching it on the digital release on my, you know, Apple TV last night with my wife. And it still looks pretty amazing. But it was the characters and everything else that really brought it home for me. So, you know, episode five. I'm not giving anything away. It still holds a huge place in my heart. It is one of my top five favorite films of all time, up next to, like, Casablanca. So that lets you know how much regard I have for this movie. And it stayed there. You know, I've continued to watch it, and it's continued to impress me over time. So it's not like I just keep coming into the film not being critical. I I still really enjoy it. Um, So... It's been in a- So it's up there with Napoleon Dynamite for you. Whoa, dude, get your own tots. <laughs> yeah. Ro- Ru- get Ruby to get your tots. Jeez, gosh. Uh yeah, it's 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 up there. Well, and and what's so interesting and I want to talk to you guys be- about this because the idea of the sequel being better. You know, a, a lot of people say Empire Strikes Back's the best one. And I know, John, that you don't agree because for you, episode three is your favorite Star Wars film. Indeed so it, it is. But what's interesting here is that, you know, even back then, very few sequels were half as good as the original. You know, and I can yeah. name the sequels that I that I think of that are better than the original. Star Trek Two, obviously better than the motion picture. Godfather Part Two. Even though you mm-hmm. need to see Godfather Part 1 to appreciate it, it's still a better movie. Uh, Aliens, better movie. Uh, Terminator 2, better movie. Uh, but the, after... The Dark Knight, one of my favorites. Yeah, I mean, yeah. but after that, you know, sequels on a whole, they don't tend to ellipse the original film, you know? I mean, we could go down the list and name 40 or 50 different sequels, Um that can't pull that off. So I wanted to kind of ask you guys, what do you think elevated episode five above episode four in in terms of that people could say this was the best one or at least better than Star Wars episode four? Well, I think that at the time, uh, episode five wasn't necessarily regarded as by, you know, by everybody as better than the original necessarily. I think that came with time, but I think that grew uh, through time because the movie betrays um, expectations so much. Because instead of having just a cookie cutter repeat of Star Wars, they took the big battle and they put it at the beginning 
And then they still had a lightsaber battle, but it was the emotion behind it that was the driver for like it. The emotional climax of the movie is so dense and so unexpected. I mean, you know, no, I am your father. That blew people's minds when he said that at the end of Empire Strikes Back. And back then, I, I remember like kids were div- were divided into camps. I mean, like this was the type of movie that pulled th- those emotions out of you. Star Wars is a fun ride, but Empire is not just a fun ride. It's real like it, it's a real investment in everything emotionally so that at the end when Luke is uh you know spent and when Han is gone, like you really feel like you've been, you know, kicked in the gut. But you still are able to walk out of Empire Strikes Back. And this is an opinion I've, I've put forth before that not everybody uh, goes along with. But what makes it work altogether is the fact that the ending is still hopeful. They're still looking off into the sunset. And the sense at the end of the film is we've been through hell. They've thrown everything they have at us. But you know what? We're going to take a deep breath and we're still going to keep fighting and we're not going to give up and we're going to win. So even though you've been through all of these things, you still at the end of the movie, you don't feel despair. You still feel hope. You still feel this battle isn't over. That's my take. But we still had to wait three years. (laughs) I still remember that. it's, It's a long time. Yeah, for sure. But I, I'm glad you said that camps were divided because I was in middle school when this film came out. And, of course, it was in the summer. So going back at the start of the new school year, we're all talking about this movie. And I remember the majority of people that I talked to, most of my friends, didn't like it as much as Star Wars. They said Star Wars was a better movie. And I could not understand that. I mean, I loved Star Wars, but. It's everything you said. Empire Strikes Back. There was more emotion. It was it was deeper. It was more character. I mean, even there was more action. There was more special effects. I mean, it was it was on it was it was Star Wars on steroids to me, and I could not understand why the majority of people in my class didn't like it as as much as Star Wars. To the point that for years, I always thought that. The Empire Strikes Back was not a movie that was well liked, which is interesting now because I always hear how it's the most liked. But what was funny is, and I'm going to jump ahead by three years to Return of the Jedi. When that came out and I saw that movie, I thought, oh, nobody liked Empire Strikes Back. So now George is catering to all those people who love the first Star Wars movie by starting on Tatooine and having Jabba's palace with like the cantina type thing. And then a death star. Yeah. Okay. So we have to redo a new hope to make everybody happy. And that kind of made me mad. Interesting. It's interesting how time and perspectives have changed. Yeah, it is. That is, that is interesting. It is really interesting. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's a really interesting point to, to talk to because you know I I'm in that in between age where we I didn't get to see it in the theater but it's also way before it all became popular again and I was removed from that whole thing of you know the the fight of which one is better and and you know um 
having to wait, obviously, for the answers and all of that. So that's that is fascinating. And I was I was thinking about this. I, I'm removed from all that. So what makes all of these movies that we kind of listed better than their original? And I think it's it's that they just take the premise of the original and they make it deeper. They give it more richness. They give it more fullness. Um, it, it feels even more alive and real and, and, and flowing with whatever spirit came from the original, but just amplified. But like you said, Bruce, it's, it's not in a way that it's just a copy of the original, but it's enhancing and, and building and all of that. And that's exactly what The Empire Strikes Back does with Star Wars. It enhances, it builds, it, it, it deepens mythology, it, it expands your view of, of the created universe. Um, you know, it, it's why something like, say, Harry Potter is so popular because J.K. Rowling understood how to build the universe and make it so rich and deep and complex and make it feel real. And I, I, you know, when you're talking about Star Wars, I think Empire Strikes Back made it feel even more, quote-unquote, dink-dink, real. You know, uh, it feels even more lived in. It feels even more a part of, like, something out there. I don't don't know, but... um, it it just struck a chord with me, and I I, I think I don't know. I, I, part of it too is I think that this is probably the best dialogue of the series. Um, uh, the every there's not a bad line in this film. I was watching it last night, and I was just thinking the way the actors are are playing the dialogue, and it's all rolling off their tongue. It's so effortless. It feels like. There's never an awkward line or anything like that. It's just everything's coming together. You know, it, it's, it, it, I don't know. Maybe I'm just romanticizing it. Am I? Am I romanticizing it, guys? No, I think it feels more natural. Like you said, with the actors and the dialogue, and that was the criticism of the uh, prequel trilogy, that it felt stilted and awkward. And I think that's why when you're coming off of movies like The Empire Strikes Back and, and then later Return of the Jedi and go into the prequel trilogy, I think that's why – that's one of the reasons I think a lot of people were put off by that trilogy. It, I, I, and I think uh, Irvin Kirshner is a lot he, – he deserves a lot of credit on this because from what I understand – and of course, he went over budget and taking too much time, according to George Lucas. But you know, he was spending a lot of time to bring those characters out, and, and took take after take, and and really spend time getting to know the characters. Where George is the kind of director that says, you know, you know, just do it once and move on. Let's keep going. So it's it. it there's a lot to the director when it comes to this. Film. I, I yeah, I, I I'll give you that definitely. Kirshner shines in this. He definitely in terms of performance made the actors rise. I won't let you get away with that quip about according to Lucas with the budget though, because that's well documented that they were going to get funding pulled from that movie because Kirshner was going so far over schedule and budget. And they had to do like some last minute wrangling uh, late in the day to, uh, to get it to go. But to Lucas's credit, he never laid it on, on Kirshner's feet. He just told him to keep working and, and don't worry about the business part of it. But like it, yeah, the, the dialogue is fantastic. I, I think that the sense really with Empire Strikes Back is that you are thrown right into it and they don't waste time rehashing anything. There's no 
the only reference to what has has transpired before um, is you know now when the emperor talks to uh, to Vader and he references the young rebel who blew up the Death Star, but. It, it, there wasn't this thing where you know Vader like gathered a conference of admirals and was like, "Oh, we have to get this guy that blew up the Death Star." Remember when that happened? That was really bad, and the, the rebels weren't. I mean, even changing up the the uh, to you know to speak to Matt, your point about it feeling more real, like it's not the same generals. Dodonna's not there. Like it's different generals. It's a different cast of supporting characters that gives you this sense that everything is expanded. And it doesn't slow down to explain why that is. It just is the way it is in real life. This is where we are now, and we don't talk about everything that happened over the last three years. It's just where our lives are. Yeah, there's no bar scene in Hoth like, remember that time? Right. And then there's a flashback that tells you, you know, it's not a Family Guy episode. Right. Thank God. Yeah. Um, so, and I think... You know, I will say another thing is this, is that it's the editing of this film. Because if you watch mm. the extended scenes, like say, just take the hallway scene between Leia and Han, where yeah. they're back and forth. It's so crisp. It's so perfect. But if you look at the longer takes of that, it's terrible. It is utter garbage. It sounds bad. All the timing is off. It doesn't have the fire. It doesn't have any of that. They edited it perfectly so everything works, and that's up to the editors here of this film, not just the direction, because left that scene alone, go watch it. You're not going to be impressed. It's not a good scene, but you edit it just right, which is, we know George is a genius at editing, Uh, you know, talk to Nick Anastasio about that and what him and Dave learned from George about editing and how to edit and to rework a scene. They completely reworked that scene in the editing bay, cutting things out so that all the timing works and it's as snappy as it is. It's that, you know, 1940s, hey, Bob, how you doing? You know, you're giving it to each other real fast, yeah? That's what's happening in all those scenes, and that's what I think also makes it feel so good. And so you put Kirsch as director with the the actors, you put Lucas and the guys in the editing bay with uh, Marshall Lucas as well, and uh, then you've got Paul Hirsch. You you do all that together, that's where the magic comes in. And so and in the end, like. It is a team sport here, obviously, film. It's not just down to one person. Yeah, uh, and uh, Richard Chu was still on the editing team then, wasn't he? Like, he, he wrote well, out all three. I was looking on IMDb to see who the editors were, and Paul Hirsch is the main editor with Lucas and Lucas being uncredited, and then uh, TM Christopher is the 19... 19- 97 special edition okay editor, so. I, so i guess okay well all right um i i could have sworn he stayed but in, in either in either case you, your point about the editing is right and to speak to the editing as well i think that um one of the things that everybody should be extremely grateful for and one of the things that truly did make the empire strikes back great and probably contributed to the uh lessened setup time is all of that wampa stuff being cut because oh, yes. that would have been oh, disaster. That would have been a disastrous beginning to the movie. That would have been awful. 
Um, yeah, having you know. that whole scene where the the characters walk in on a whole room of wampas just uh, sounds horrible when I think about it. Like, well, that's I, something you can do in the Clone Wars cartoon. Yeah, a Rebels, it doesn't work in the film. Well, I, I mean, I just, you know, just the whole thing of, uh, but, but uh, to speak to the to speak to the editing as well, the the very, you know, familiar shot of R two going and the Walkers are just showing up and everything's shaking and the you know, the, the bit of ice falls on his head. That's a repurposed shot from when the Wampa attack scene was happening. So it's like that. They just have that laying around and they're like, Oh, we need a reaction shot. Oh, R2. That looks like something got shaken loose from the ceiling. There you go. Like that's, that's pretty brilliant. And that's what George is so good at is he has such a, I think probably a photographic memory when it comes to things that he can say, hey, remember that scene that we had where uh, R2 was going down the hall? We were going to do the Wampa thing. Well, why don't we just put that scene here and it'll really work? I mean, that's the mind that George has to make it all flow together and to take a scene. And again, it's it's film. You don't know where it's coming from until you edit it all together. So it doesn't even matter to us. And, and it works perfectly. So, yeah, I, I, I think... There's something about this movie that it all came together so well in just such a... This movie is near perfect, if you ask me. It's Oh, and there's one piece that we're missing, the John Williams score. It, oh, that God, yeah. I, I still mean, think is like the yeah. best score of all the Star well, Wars we'll movies. talk about it now. So yeah. I wanted to ask you guys, is this the best soundtrack of the entire saga so far? I think so, and maybe I'm biased because it was the first Star Wars album I had, and I played that thing to death i mean it's ingrained in me i know every note i know the orders of all the songs on that that two album vinyl set that i had and i used to look at those big pictures mm-hmm. and turning the pages while i listened to it and i mean that's what brought us the the emperor march the imperial march sorry and it just it, it yeah yeah it's 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 the best that's all i gotta say well i I agree about the LP. The LP was wonderful. I still have my copy, and that little that little too. booklet, if you uh, take a look through it, does mention nine films, and that the Star Wars saga we were watching is the middle part of three trilogies. It is in there in that booklet. I guarantee. You, I got. I took a picture of it not too long ago. It is. It Bruce is, is like, there. can we pause? Yeah. Can we pause recording? No, I got <laughs> re- look. Well, while he's but, while, while Bruce is looking, he's he's literally is but, looking, folks. But um, while, but while everybody loves the Imperial March, as do I. It's one of the coolest pieces of movie music ever created. It's fantastic. You can't overlook the beauty of Yoda's theme or Han and Leia's love theme in this film. It really is great. And uh, what one of the pieces that truly elevates the score is the the Hoth battle music. That mm, that yeah. piano, uh, like it, it still gives me chills to listen to that because he imbues in the music this sense of inevitability. And then he brings in the other instruments and you, when you cut to the rebels and it's this sense of panic against this, like the music itself has that sense of this is this big plotting inevitable force and these panicked, scared people going up against it. And it's just a beautiful music cue. It's not my favorite score from the entire saga, but that is not, I think that this is an important moment to say 
that it's very easy for people to hear someone say, it's not my favorite from the saga and have them say, oh, well, you're being contrarian. Oh, you don't like it. No, I love Empire Strikes Back. It is a it is a nigh perfect film. I absolutely adore it from beginning to finish. Whenever you hear me say it's not my favorite of the saga, that is not me putting it down in any way or setting it aside. It's just if I have to pick one, this isn't the one I pick, but it doesn't take anything away from the beauty of this music or film as a whole. Well, and for me, this is my favorite of the saga, the soundtrack wise. And I, I think even Williams kind of outdid his original score from Star Wars. He found a, just a whole nother level he took it to. I mean, and I don't know if Williams himself ever truly surpasses his level here for Empire Strikes Back. It's just, like you said, John, there's so many different cues that are so good from beginning to end. And I, I think... The pinnacle for me in this score is that asteroid chase scene. It Yes, I was just going to say that is a great piece. It is my favorite Williams track ever because it's so operatic. It's so well done. The way that it goes high and low and everything in between. I mean, that one track has, it feels like every note out there and... It just ebbs and flows in a way that makes you feel when you hear it as if you're zipping through asteroids. That's what makes it, 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 it feels like the sensation of being in the Falcon going through an asteroid field where yeah. some are potatoes. It, it, it's, it, well, it sounds like the soundtrack to a roller coaster. Yes, Which exactly. is exactly what you're watching, which, you know, dips and turns and flips and spins and this, ju- but but then it resolves, and I think this speaks to uh, the the score actually speaks to sort of the duality that's in the movie, where you have these punctuations of excitement, and then it always resolves to a quieter, subtler cue. And I think that if you li- if you take the score, it it really uh, drives home the point of how they have the big battle, all of the activity in the beginning. And then you have little bursts of activity, but it all sort of tapers off toward the end until the big sweeping love theme resolves into the, you know, the final credits music. And so I think that even the score itself like just comes in perfectly as this perfect funnel to bring you down to the smaller human emotions, even in the big cues like the asteroid chase, because that ends with a very, very quiet transition you know, uh, over over into Dagobah and everything. No, completely. It it's it's just brilliant. Um, and we could rave about Williams sure. all night in this. The, we really could, and and it would be not enough justice to Williams and what he did here. But um, well, I, I'm I'm looking at my original album cover. Thank <laughs> you very much, John, because it does say told you a nine part saga, Boom. and it and it it says it's a middle trilogy. Yep. Uh. Yeah, divided into three trilogies, and uh, it explains how it's, yeah, the middle trilogy, and this is basically episodes four and five, so this is probably how I found out when I left the confused movie theater that this was really was in episode five. Yeah, and that so awesome. And that picture in the liner notes of the stormtrooper bathed in orange is uh, still one of my favorite shots from any of the ancillary materials. There's a, yep, there he is. Yeah, that's, that's him. excellent. Isn't that a great shot? Just love it. 
there one of the things I think that elevates this film is the way that we were talking about that it drops you in we there's an extended period of time that's happened between you know episodes four and five and they don't go ahead and fill you in but each of the characters is different they have a marked difference in where they are and we're talking about all the major players plus the villain and depending on how you watch them now new and or old characters so I kind of wanted to just talk a little bit about that and the way that each of these characters have grown you know you've, you've got Luke and Han and Leia you have Vader Yoda who is an old friend by this point if you're watching one through six as we are now <laughs> so that's what we refer yeah. to him and then you've got Lando who is really the new guy on the block the new kid on the block uh and so Talk a little bit to me, just what your impressions are, even uh, just heck, even watching it again, of the way that these characters grew from the last time that you saw them. Gosh, um, that, see, that's that that's kind of a tough one. I mean, you know, I, I'm not here to ask the easy questions. I know, but like, I, I, you know, if I were to to try to look at it retroactively, and you know, Yoda, people, I think in time have forgotten what a big risk Yoda really was. Oh, to yeah. have I mean a Muppet that yes. Mark Hamill's gonna spend all of his time with. Right. Like you you're you're literally taking your lead, your main character, and stranding him for a significant portion of the movie talking to a puppet while a radio controlled droid beeps and whirs. Like And the puppet sounds like Grover from Sesame right. Street. And and on top of that, like you know, Empire Strikes Back should maybe also give everybody uh, sort of the the idea of uh, I, I, maybe it's maybe it's just lost because people make crazy, insane, over budget movies nowadays. But back then, for Lucas, who was a relative, you know, relatively unknown guy, post Star Wars, he's probably one of the only people on the planet, maybe Spielberg as well, that could walk into a movie studio and say. This is what I'm going to make with my movie. And they would be like, yeah, okay, we'll distribute it. Sure. Yeah, okay. Here. Yeah, let, let, let's give you the merchandising rights. Just make it. Just make it. I mean, like, the, break that down. It's a crazy concept. But I think what makes Yoda work for us back then, and if you watch it, four, five, six, one, two, three, if you watch it that way, what makes Yoda work as a character is the first scene you meet him is zany and silly. And so it disarms you. Instead of having him come in very serious, it just, it, you know, like you see this puppet and you're giggling at him and he's being silly like a Muppet. So you don't spend time saying, why is a Muppet talking to him? You're just kind of, you know, chuckling at the jokes. I still, one of my favorite gags in the entire saga is still when he's fighting with R2. <laughs> for, mine, yeah, mine, 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 mine. And R2 gives it up and the door's still open and it goes, Bang! And he just knocks the door shut. He goes, hmm. You know, like, it's just such a perfect moment of silliness. Um, and Lando, like, it's become a punchline with how suave Billy D. Williams was and is and the Colt 45 jokes and everything like that. Hold on, that. John. Hold on. I got to. Yeah. Right. Ruby. You really belong among he us here in the clouds. <laughs> yeah. Well, if anybody's had malt liquor, yeek. But uh, the uh, <laughs> you'll believe anything he'll tell you. But um, 
his portrayal, the way he plays Lando, think about what a tremendous balancing act that he makes him a likable character and one that you come around and sympathize with, even though he betrays characters that you have come to know and love and live with as action figures, as key parts of your fantasy life. He betrays them, but still plays it in such a way that you see and feel his humanity through the film. Like, I don't think Billy D. Williams gets enough credit for what he pulls off with that portrayal. I agree with you. I, I think that I was, I was re-watching it last night. I was struck by the fact that the way that Lando, he's between a rock and a hard place. He's between a Vader and death. I mean, that's where he is. And he doesn't have a choice here. And he's trying to make the best of a terrible situation. The deal definitely is getting worse all the time for him. And the way, especially the way that he immediately, you know, turns on the Empire when he has the chance, lets you know that this is a good guy. And that's just a great script moment. You know, uh, how do, how, not only do, do we have this guy that people might hate, but they give him that moment so that immediately know, yeah, we know that Chewie and Leia are mad at him at the moment, but he's actually a good guy. He was just waiting for the right time to be able to make his move. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, and, and Williams plays that that moral complexity. I mean, like, if anything, Lando is a character that the audience should very easily be able to relate to because it's very easy to go through life and say, oh, yeah, I'd fight evil. But then you have, you know, a Dark Lord of the Sith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want Skywalker. These guys will just hang out. And then, like you said, he keeps altering the deal. Like, that very much comes through, not just in the script, but in the portrayal of, like, oh, but I believed you. Oh, wait. And you sort of see Lando realize that he's been lying to himself the whole time. You know, the way that, the way that it's played, you, you know, Lando is... He, he is somebody that I think is eminently relatable because he would behave the way I think most people would in the situation of believing the lie that Vader serves them because it's a lot easier than trying to challenge this malevolent force. And I liked his character more. I like his character more now as an adult than I did when I first saw the movie as 12 years old. I was a little confused by him to the point that when I play with played with my action figures i always had the bad guys the good guys and then there was lando lando was the well he's like half good guy half bad guy i wasn't really sure where he he landed so where he landed lando there you go there's a connection there but uh and what else city casino that's where he landed that's right on itunes so (laughs) but uh, and speaking of characters which i like better i also like Luke better in this film than in the first film because he was less whiny and he was not, he felt like he was more of a Jedi now. I mean, he was the one I felt changed the most between films. I mean, just to see him in the, in the cave upside down and using the force to get the lightsaber. And it was like, Whoa, this guy, he's, he's a Jedi. And then he later confronts Vader. It's like, wow. And, and he was more mature and he, you know, and, and the whole training with Yoda, I mean, he did some of his whininess there, but he he was a totally, 
totally grown character more so than the others between those two films. What I love about Luke is that he feels more subdued in this film, but not in yes. a way that mm -hmm. is harmful to the character, but it helps you know that he's he stopped being so petulant and whiny and he's become more thoughtful. You know, he's become a little bit slower in his actions. Yes, he's going to be rash at the end of the movie, but there is something about him that is beginning to change. And thank God for Weapon of the Jedi and that wonderful book by Jason Fry to help us understand exactly where Luke got some of those saber skills that helps him. Because I could not stop thinking about that. I loved it. I could not stop thinking about that book in reference to, okay, this is how Luke knows how to face off against Vader because he's had some practice. Yeah, but see, that that that's it's very interesting because, yeah, that is, that is really cool. But at the same time, I think that the original trilogy, and specifically the jump between Star Wars and Empire, sorry, A New Hope and Empire, is uh, that does it speak to the audience was much more willing to just sort of go along with it in the sense that Luke is able to use telekinesis and then Luke is able to fight Vader and not, you know, die in, you know, two seconds. We all just sort of, I, maybe this was part of being a kid, but like watched the movie and it was like, yeah, okay, he picked up some skills. Okay. You know, like we all just sort of like went along with it. Whereas like audiences now, we want more explanation to frame everything like that. It's not a knock. I mean, I, you know, I love Weapon of the Jedi as well, but it, it's so. I, I, I do think that the the time period, it was a totally different sort of mindset for people to come into Empire and just accept that things had changed. We didn't have ancillary materials explaining like where Luke – well, I mean, you know, we had, I guess, the comic books and everything. Luke was using his saber Order of the mind's month. eye. Well, yeah. Well, that did exist. Just saying. It was there. Yeah, that's No, that's but I'm true. with you, John, because I, I, I don't need any of that. I just love how that, that yeah. I was just meaning that how it enhances it. Oh, I'm yeah, with no, you, yeah. I, yeah, I, I saw the films. I didn't need any of that. It made sense to me completely um, the way the films are structured. But yeah, I'm with you, Bruce, that, that Luke is the one I think that feels one of the most changed. Although I might challenge you on that because I feel like Han has done almost a 180. He's still the rogue. He, he, well, he's pretending to be the rogue to win the princess, but the guy's got a heart of gold, and he's really letting it show in this film because he might be acting kind of like a little bit of a jerk to her, but it's kind of like that playground thing where you push the girl you like and she pushes you and because you don't want to let each other know you really like each other. That's what's happening in this film, but the whole movie, he is protecting her he's taking care of her he's making sure she's okay i mean you can tell this guy maybe for the first time in his life has fallen in love and it's it's really interesting to watch that because i feel like han has completely he's found something and he, he seems to believe not just in leia and how he feels about her but he also believes in this rebellion and I almost feel like that's why he wants to leave and pay off Jabba so that he can fully devote himself to this different life that he's trying to lead. He wants to leave all of that behind. 
And that's what I get from the way that his characters change. And that's a big change from the, eh, screw him, I got my reward. I'm going to go, you know, hit the spice mines of Kessel, you know, and see what I can pick up there. Whatever, you know, it's it's a very different type of guy. And, of course, when we were talking about the way he's going to be in The Force Awakens, really nice character development for Han here to not just be that, and continue being that lovable rogue. But him and Leia both have a softening in this film. Yeah. And it's interesting that they're both on that journey together. You know, so it's not like you're taking the female character and making her less strong. Because she's still kicking some serious ass here, even though she's not actually kicking ass. She's giving plenty of orders. She's the one in charge as much as anybody else is at this rebel base. So she's she's the one that everybody's answering to. So you know who's in charge. But both her and Han are on this trajectory of having their hearts softened towards one another. And and that's a that's that's a nice love story. It it is. It is. I, I agree. I think you're both right though. Uh I think there's a tie because Han exhibits a tenderness to Leia, yeah. But there's also one of my favorite scenes is when uh, Luke is going to the speeders and Han is up trying to fix the Falcon and oh, they yeah. have a beat where they don't know what to say to each other. And it's just be careful you too. And that like, that's all they can find to say to each other. But then Luke also jumps in the cockpit and Bruce to speak to your point of his growth. I think you get very early on when he jumps in with Dak and Dak says, I feel like I could take on the empire myself. And Luke just sort of, you know, gives a little, sigh and just goes i know what you mean you know like he he has that sense of a, a salty veteran about him he's rogue leader now so he's been around now after captain nara's been, been yeah. knocked out well okay i wanted to talk a little bit uh first i want to compliment mark hamill it's been done before but the guy is a great actor and you know want to know why is because he makes everybody believe that a muppet is real <laughs> so it's it's only because of his performance that that happens. It's the only reason that Yoda works. It's not Frank Oz. Frank Oz is amazing. But if Mark Hamill does not do his job as an actor on the set and portray that this character is nothing but real, nobody else in the audience is going to buy it. The guy is amazing. And so I, I don't think that he gets enough credit for people. People always talk about his whining or, no, no. I mean, God, the guy just found out the world's worst person, Hitler, is his father, okay? Give him a break. I, I'd feel that way too. And I'd probably say the same thing. So that aside, Yoda, the character, I love him coming in here after watching, you know, all that we've seen, we've seen the prequels and Clone Wars. And what I love about his character here is that I know this side of Yoda. You know, he's not just the serious guy. Yoda can be uber fun. It, you know, it reminds me of episode two where he's like, lost a planet Master Obi-Wan has. How embarrassing. How embarrassing. You know, the, the, the this is a man who understands the joy that does come in life and it's not all serious and i just i love that that yoda plus the serious yoda 
they both show up here, and I feel like the prequels and the Clone Wars do a great job of preparing you for the Yoda that you will meet. And it does make you wonder when he you first see him, what Yoda will he be at the beginning? And you can tell, too, he's testing Luke. You know, that he's seeing how he'll react to somebody that he's not expecting. You know, the whole thing is an act. That's not Yoda really being Yoda. He's just putting on an act to see how Luke will react to this very unexpected visitor. And I think that's some amazing and fun character development for a character that we got to know very well throughout the prequels and the Clone Wars era. Well, seeing that movie when it first premiered, of course, we didn't know who Yoda was. And so we just thinking it's this funny little creature that will probably take Luke to Yoda. And of course we find out it's Yoda. What I would love to experience, which I never can, but I wonder how that scene is perceived and how Yoda is perceived. If you'd only seen, if you saw the prequel trilogy first and that's how you got to know Yoda, would you see this character and think, Oh my gosh, he's been on this planet and he's lost his marbles. He has gone insane. Or would you pick up on the fact that he is testing Luke? Or maybe that's not Yoda. Maybe it's another creature that looks and sounds like Yoda and it's of his species. And I just love how the films, and as we add to the films with new films and series and books, how it changes your perspective on things. So I'm very curious to know what people who came from the prequel trilogy to this thought of Yoda, but I, he, yeah, Mark Hamill sold it. Even when Mark Hamill was on the Muppet show, that was the first time believed <laughs> that Kermit the Frog was a real frog. Always in motion is the future. And the, the perspective, I love that Bruce, it's the different perspective, it, it, you know, uh, from a certain point of view and everything changes with Star Wars the more we get in it and the good, the bad, and the toodlefruits. So, um, well, and that's what's so exciting about the sequel <laughs> trilogy is it's going to change our perspective of these six films. I yeah. mean, it's just always evolving and always changing. And I think that's so cool. Another character, and then we'll move on, is Vader. And Vader is a very different character in this film because he's the top dog who's only answering to one person at this point. And that's not the way it was in the first film. He was answering to Tarkin. And so you can tell that for Vader, something's changed. There's a power dynamic that's changed. I mean, he's just willy-nilly killing anybody that displeases him in this, you know, uh, apology accepted, Captain Nita. I mean, there's something that has metamorphosized for Vader and and it's like the emperor let the dog off the chain and don't get in this black menace's way uh yeah it's yeah. like he's saying i'm in charge now it's it's my way now it's my turn you're either yeah. with me or you're against me yeah no i i think that uh, vader I, I think that's a, a good way to put it uh, Bruce is that he's been let off the chain in this one. There's very much a sense in Star Wars, like because there's reference to the Emperor, and uh, there's you know basically a sense that that Vader is this uh, other presence that's sent, you know, who listens to Tarkin but also keeps an eye on Tarkin, sort of the way you know like a, a fascist regime regime sort of operates, you know, and, and that sort of thing. But 
in this one, Vader very much has this sense of just he's he is just like this big ball of anger in that like you get that much more like he's much more of a snidely whiplash sort of villain. I'm not saying that to reduce him in Star Wars. He's more of a, you know, like to just antagonist for antagonist's sake. This movie gives him a motivation other than to be the bad guy. Like he is after Luke through the whole movie. And it's like, why is he so after Luke? You know, like he, he, there's a real focus to him. And I do want to say that the one, the one change that has always been under my skin with Vader uh, in the special editions is that one of the most unbelievably menacing lines in the entire movie used to be after uh, Luke um, gets away from him and Vader rounds the corner uh, and he's being followed by his phalanx of officers and troopers and he just comes around the corner and goes, bring my shuttle. I miss that line because that line, believe it or not, always encapsulated Vader in this film to me as somebody so driven by rage that when the tiniest thing doesn't go his way, the only way he knows how to deal with it is anger and punishment like that. That's always been, strangely enough, one of my favorite lines, and I do miss it. That's what I love about the last scene of the film when the Falcon does escape. Is that Vader does that thing where yeah. he turns around and he's about to turn back around again and then he just puts his hands behind his back and starts to walk. Admiral Piet is just watching him walk by and all you can think in your head is what Admiral Piet's probably thinking, which is, oh, it's about to go down. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. that's it. I'm done. <laughs> I didn't even have time to fill out my 401k. Exactly. I didn't even get my pay raise yet. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. But I, this, I, I think that if you wanted to encapsulate for me, and I said this about my episode five experience, it is the way that this film deals with its characters and the depth that it gives you, which really impacted me. And I love the way that they grow. I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit further about this idea of, of obviously Yoda being on Dagobah and the heir to the Jedi at this point, which the heir apparent is Luke Skywalker, even though there is another. Um, and the way that Yoda and Ben are training this Skywalker. We talked a little bit about this last time, but I really wanted to dive in because it is understandable to me why they take the path that they do. But I wanted to ask you guys, Bruce, thinking about this idea of training this new Skywalker, especially when we watch the prequels, then you watch, you know, you watch one through six. There's got to be a lot of trepidation here for these two when they've already seen one Skywalker go off the rails and they're very worried that this Skywalker might just do the same thing. Yeah, and I don't, really fully understand why they're putting all their eggs in the Luke basket. Uh, why Yoda and Obi-Wan don't feel the need to go after Vader at some point themselves, but think, you know what? We'll let this kid grow up and we'll train him when he's older 
and then we'll release him on Vader. But, oh, but you know what? We kind of lost Vader because his attachment to Padme and love and, well, that could turn on us if Luke finds out that Vader's his father. Some of it just doesn't sit quite right with me, except for the fact that they may look at this as the way we train Jedi and the way we approached Jedi or bringing Jedi into the fold was wrong. And it reminds me of Rocky. Uh, and I think it's Rocky four, which I can't believe I'm comparing this to Rocky four, oh, but, no. <laughs> but there's the, you know, the Russian guy that's in the gymnasium Drago. and he's using all the latest tech and stuff to train. Yet Rocky is out in the middle of nowhere in nature Mm -hmm. and training. And it almost comes across as, you know what? Getting back to the basics is the best. And that's almost how I feel this works. And the fact that the Jedi Temple and all the training and all the tools that are available to them, they lost focus. And getting back to nature on Dagobah and doing, you know, training with rocks and running around with a backpack. Yeah. And just being in that element that's what really brings you into the force. You're among all the living things and not the sterile environment and man-created elements that surround you in the Jedi Temple. Bruce, you and I are of a mind. I wrote something not so long ago uh, on my blog that postulated the theory that one of the reasons the Jedi were blinded slash weakened slash not as in tune with things was because their headquarters was on Coruscant. Because they were among all of this technology. And so, yes, going off and having the Dagobah training reserve was the better bet because Luke is immersed in the living force. He's immersed in everything. Life creates the force, according to the mythology of the film. Therefore, why shouldn't you be immersed in what creates the force? He's basically like in a, a, a bath of force energy. And maybe that in and of itself speaks to the idea of why Luke is able to train up so fast and be ready for his trial with Vader is because he can, like the 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 the, uh, the faucet is opened on Dagobah and all of that power is flowing out there and he's able to tap into it and sort of accelerate things as opposed to Vader who's lost his contact with so much, not just by being mechanical, but living in a mechanical environment, removing himself from the natural. I think I think you're absolutely right on that. He's a mechanical man in a mechanical world. Uh, yeah, you know. And uh, <laughs> you were saying that, John, <laughs> about the idea of really immersing Luke. And all I could think of is, man, they need a Jedi training hot tub. You know, just immerse <laughs> you in that. You know, and really get you get you focused uh, on the force. <laughs> Maybe midichlorians. But, like, so- yeah, midi chlorian hot tub. No, but maybe midi chlorians <laughs> are like a staph infection. They like Luke gets his little cuts and he gets in the little midi chlorian infected water and it like seeps into him. <laughs> oh god, I don't know why that was so funny, but the idea of a midi chlorian hot tub just cracks hey man, me up. It makes sense. Oh gosh. Um Back on topic, what's what is very interesting is that they do, like you were saying, Bruce, this is the back to basics, very stripped down way to train a Jedi. And, you know, Yoda and Obi-Wan, they're not 
going through all the rigmarole. They're not doing any of this scientific testing with midichlorians. It's none of that. It is, this is the force. Let me immerse you in it. It's like the Jedi saying in this time period, we're going back to the old ways. No yeah. more. This is all practical effects. <laughs> I'm going to reach through. So, I'm gonna, like the J.J. Abrams you're of done. the time. You're done. I'm tracing your IP address. I'm finding where you live. Finally, Bruce. <laughs> you're done. You're done. If I have to hear that one more time in my life. Oh, my God. <laughs> well played. Well, and what's so interesting to you, uh, what I, okay, there's a couple of interesting connections here. Watching the films the way that George would want you to watch them now, one through six. Yoda says he will keep his own counsel on who he will train. John, do you think that has anything to do with the fact that the council overruled him and made Anakin available to train in the first place? Do you think that Yoda is referencing that frustration he has that if his way had happened, maybe Anakin wouldn't have happened in the first place? Yeah. No, I, I definitely think he is. I, I think that Yoda, I think it's very apparent in, the, in, you know, Phantom Menace, at least, that Yoda is not down with training uh, Anakin. And I think that uh, I think that he is also likely afraid of training Luke because Luke has the potential to go that way. Um, maybe that speaks in and of itself as well. You know, when Yoda says there is another, maybe it's like, Maybe that is also Yoda's way of saying, you know what, I, mm, the kid's going the way I told you he was going to, and I, we should have gone with what I like. Maybe that's another moment of him saying, uh, if we'd gone, we should have gone with if Leia. We'd gone with Leia, I could have made this work. But I forget who said this uh, on one of our one of our previous discussions of the films that um, the reason Luke is successful is because he's more like his mother. Um, and yeah, that was Bethany like, yeah. who was talking about that when we were discussing. I, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. And right in line with that, it just tapering off into this because it, it really plays into, no wonder Yoda and Obi-Wan are kind of worried, and especially Yoda. He sees in Luke some of the same seeds that Anakin has. And it's this idea of attachment. And it comes fully into play here in the same way that Anakin runs off to save his mother in episode two, and I quote-unquote save, Luke does the same exact thing. No wonder Yoda is freaked out. No wonder he's telling him that if you turn to the dark side forever, will it dominate your destiny? Yes, somebody could come back. I don't think that's an absolute for Yoda, but I think he wants to drive home so importantly to Luke don't even give it a second look because they don't have a lot of chances here. And it is very interesting when you're watching the films one through six, you can see how scared they would be that they have just created another Anakin at this point. Sure. Sure. That makes sense. And it was, it was so clear to me watching this how frightened him and Obi-Wan must be at this point that you know as Luke leaves they're like oh son of a you know it's it, it it really is the same thing and yet this is where it comes back to what you were saying what Bethany said when we were talking about Star Wars A New Hope 
Luke has more of his mother in him than he does his father. And that impulsiveness to help his friends isn't the kind of attachment that leads to possession. It's attachment that leads to sacrificial love, which is completely different. Right. He wants to take the place of his suffering friends. He doesn't want to punish anybody for their suffering. He wants to take their place. Yeah. Uh, So in the end, Luke is the suffering servant. Yeah. And, you know, and I think also that um, it uh, just so long as we're talking about the whole, you know, there is another thing um, that I think people have lost sight over time. That really, especially, and, uh, you know, Bruce, correct me, you know, if you felt a different way or something like hearing that line, there is another wasn't just a thought of there's another character. It planted the, the, the idea in your head that Luke could die in that final act. You know, there is another. It's like, well, well, he's expendable? What? So, like, when he's getting his butt handed to him by Vader, you're like, uh, this could actually end for Luke. What's going on right now? Yeah, there was definitely a thought that if, if yeah, that Luke was expendable, that there is somebody else out there that could take his place. And, of course, we we didn't know that was Leia. We didn't know that they were brother and sister at that point when the movie first came out. But it, it got me thinking as you guys were talking, as they as Luke takes off and they're like, oh, no, he's leaving too soon. Uh, well, you know what? If this doesn't work, there's another. I don't know. I mean, what if Luke went to the dark side and now you've got Vader and Luke together and you're going to take one other sibling now and throw her in the mix to get both of no. them? It's, I, at that point, I think you're done. <laughs> it would be hard to turn both of them back or conquer both of them mm. just as one person. Ah, but maybe they knew. And yes, this is this is retconning because of the prequels. But if you're going to work the prequels into it, if Luke had turned, Vader would have used Luke and killed the Emperor and there still would have only been two Sith. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. You're back to just two Sith again. Well, and that's one of the most interesting things about this is that the way that, you know, always two there are until somebody else better comes along. And then we use that somebody better to kill off one of us. You know, I, I it, it really does play in here and it plays with everything that we've seen in the prequels, which is wonderful. And throughout the Clone Wars of the way that that all was, you know, coming down towards the end. So uh, really fa- fabulous. And, and not only that, but think about this. Yoda has been to Dagobah before through the Yoda arc. And he came here and he's been to that cave. And so that when Luke enters the cave... Yoda understands what Luke is going to experience because my my guess is that he's been in that cave more than once at this point. You know, we've we've seen him enter in the the Clone Wars, but I I would not wonder I, I would not be surprised that Yoda visits that cave often because it's such a strong place in the Force, and if he enters with a clear mind, it will continue to show him things in the future that he might not just be able to see by himself. So I love that ancillary material there with the Clone Wars because it adds so much to the fact that Yoda is on this. Like you were saying, John, he is immersed in the Force. This is a place that is strong in the Force. So what a place to train the heir to the Jedi. 
I when I saw the uh, episode of Rebels when uh, Ezra was in the temple, the Jedi temple in Lothal, and uh, they're hearing the we're hearing the voice of Yoda communicating to um, Kanan. I was picturing Yoda actually in that cave. To... Well, and he shows up yeah. as the little balls of light that yeah. are floating around. The 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 luminous beings are we. So even Yoda, it seems like he's able to transform himself enough at that point to something that can uh, guide just to the way mm-hmm. that Qui-Gon did. So it's uh, so but, cool the way it all flows together. Yeah, and those temples would have been, to, to speak to Bruce's point, like a, a focusing spot. Like it, it was um, you know, holographic communication before technology caught up to it. Like you could have a temple on one planet and a temple on another planet, and that's how they would commune with each other. And it was just an art that was lost in time that – you know, they, they could that's how they talk to each other across space and time and in days of long distant past. It was Yoda's Dagobah phone booth. <laughs> <laughs> His TARDIS. Yeah. <laughs> I love too the idea and I hadn't I don't know why, I must be an idiot that I hadn't thought about this before, but when Yoda says luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. He's not thinking of something uber super spiritual. He's thinking of Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan is that luminous material, that thing that will never die, that thing that will live forever, and it has his consciousness still in the Force. That's the luminous being he's talking about. That's what we can become if we give ourselves fully to the Force. Like... I, I don't know why I have never thought about that before, but it completely blew my mind. And and why does that happen? Well, it's because of truly believing. You know, it takes faith to be able to move the mountain or a droid ships and rocks. And that's why Yoda says, do or do not. There is no try. It's not an absolute. He's talking about your frame of mind. He's talking about you have to completely believe that this is a possibility. Because Luke says, I don't believe it. That is why you fail. You know, I, it all fits together so beautifully, the the whole thing, that it, it really coalesced for me this time watching the film. Sad that it's taken this long for me to kind of put all of those pieces together. Uh, all of the pieces yeah, but weren't that's there. The beauty of these films, we're always discovering things. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, guys. I don't feel like such an idiot anymore. Hey, Bruce, I'll slip you that. that five. We made him feel better. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, just to, I, I just want to talk about a qu- few quick other things that just some notes. Basically, I put down. I kind of love that uh, Yoda's. I, I kind of love that R two has been to Dega before. Like he's been on this huge journey with Yoda. R2 is really the only character who's pretty much seen every part of Star Wars, the more important parts. And there it's really interesting um that he he's been to Dagobah before. This is not a new place for him. Yeah, uh, you know, it it almost begs the thought though uh that I've had from time to time where it's like everybody thinks they understand R2. But he's actually like when when he's flying there with Luke and Luke's like, no, I'm going to fly into Dagobah. And R2's like wailing and everything. He's like, no, you idiot. I told you to hand over control. I know how to land on this planet. What are you doing to me? Right. And like everybody exactly. thinks they understand R2. And he's like, you know, 
as the joke is, you know, all, all of his lines were beeped because he cursed so much. Maybe he was saying to people, why aren't you listening to me? I've been on this ship before. It's over this way. You can just hear R2 being like, it's scrolling out on Luke's screen. It's like, an idiot, just let me land the plane, okay? Right, exactly. Oh, gosh. Well, not only that, but... I like that, again, if you're watching him one through six, uh, well, Boba's learned something from Obi-Wan in episode two, and that's why he's able to track the Falcon in the first place. I really, I just love that little nod yeah. from episode two. It's, well, it's kind of like role reversal in a lot of ways, uh, too, with Boba Fett and the Falcon, and then the Falcon uh, clinging on to the... Uh, Star Destroyer, just like Obi-Wan did to the asteroid in Episode 2. I mean, there is a lot of repeating elements between these films with the different characters. And then, and now Boba sounds like a uh, clone trooper now. Yeah, and I personally like that. I, I don't know how you guys feel about that, but we I haven't like talked a lot about the special edition changes, and there aren't a ton in this film as, a, as opposed to the, the major changes that you kind of saw in, in Episode 4. But uh, do you like that one, John? Uh, I don't really care either way, because if you really want to get because people have said, well, he wouldn't necessarily sound just like him. You know, honestly, um, accents aren't part of your genetic makeup. So the fact that they all sound exactly like Django to begin with is just sort of a cute, cheap sci fi -y sort of thing. So, you know, it's all right. I don't care. I don't care. Yeah, uh, he sounds really a either. little bit less menacing because uh, the the voice actor that originally did him had a slightly gruffer, more um, gravelly sort of nature to the to the voice, and so you know it didn't sound like you know he's no good to me, deed. Like you know it sound it sounds a little bit um, less menacing, but at the same time it makes sense because if he is a clone and all of the clones sounded exactly like Django, okay, yeah, it makes sense. Well, just another quick note that I really noticed watching the film again is how strong Obi-Wan's spirit looks on Dagobah. That he really almost looks surreal. Like he's there. Yeah. There's uh, this strength that how Obi-Wan's spirit grows throughout this film as Luke grows. And I feel like the, the light side of the Force is really growing. And you can see that in the fact that Obi-Wan's spirit has gone from being kind of ethereal on Hoth to here on Dagobah, it's almost like he's in the same room. It's not a Skype call anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because even in Return of the Jedi, and uh, you know, I know we're not talking about that movie, but he can actually sit on a log and not fall through it. Well, never mind the fact that when he's a spirit on Hoth, he feels the need to have his hood up, but then when he's <laughs> on Dagobah, he doesn't. Okay. That's right. Why not? Hey, sure. hey, it's cold there, even for a force ghost on Hoth. I'm just That's saying, how cold it is. I'm just saying, you know, people love to poke holes in the <laughs> supposed logic of things. You know, come on, let's be consistent, guys. <laughs> He's on there and the snow's blowing. Ooh, better pull up the hood. Ooh. Luke, I'm not going to materialize fully here because, good grief, it's cold. Just live through this, okay? Go to Dagobah. It's nicer there. Holy crap, how yeah. come you're not dead yet? It's so <laughs> yeah. cold. Jeez Louise, can I get an I can I get a tea here? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Earl Grey preferably. No, and okay. then he goes and he appears over on Dagobah. He has a root leaf stew. He's all warmed up. He's fine. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Stuff's well, it great. Reminds me of Camino when he goes out in the rain. He pulls up the hood. Yeah. That's what he's doing on the hot. Yeah, same exactly. Thing. There you go. See, there's your tie to the trilogies. I love it. <laughs> well, uh, you know, geez, Empire is a film that I feel like that I could talk so much about. And, um, yeah, and, and instead of doing that, I think we really talked through it. But any final thoughts? And uh, we have to give it our ratings because we've been doing it. But, uh, yeah. Um, what about you, Bruce? You want my rating? Is that what you're asking now? Yeah, or final thoughts, fi- ratings. Okay. Um, the only... The one thing I did want to mention real quick before I give the rating is the uh, reveal that uh, Vader is Luke's father and uh, how people say that the prequel trilogy ruins that because now it's not a surprise. But Good topic, Bruce. We're going to talk about that before we give our ratings, so let's talk about it. Okay, well, here you go. So uh, I think it just, again, it's about perspective. And if you see the prequel trilogy, when you get to this, I think the scene is still a very dramatic scene because you're like, oh, no, he Luke now knows Vader now has dropped the bomb on Luke that he's his father and this could be disastrous. But at the same time, not everybody there's probably a small percentage that actually see these movies in chronological order. Everybody's seeing them at different places. So some people will be a surprise, others it won't. I wasn't surprised that Palpatine was was Sidious, but other people were because they weren't familiar with the original trilogy. And to go back uh, to the A New Hope episode, you know, Riley and Bethany were mentioning how they saw episode one, then they went to four, then they went to two, and then they all over the board. So, um, I just wanted to mention that, uh, you know, well, oh, when I was young, I just want to say this. When I found out it was episode five and that reveal came, I was like, oh my gosh, it's such a surprise to us because we haven't seen one, two, and three yet. Had we seen one, two, and three, we would have known this. And that's the way it is today. Yeah, to, to speak to that, though, I think that there is a nice parallel now as it exists with Dooku talking to Obi-Wan. And, you know, at the end of that, it's like, you know, Lies, mistrust, creating, you know, uh, all of that stuff with, with Dooku. Like, they, he tells the truth to Obi-Wan. He flat out lays it out. It's like, Darth Sidious is in control of the Senate, and I'm a Sith, and he's a Sith, and everybody loves us, and we're ruling everything. There's a parallel there where it's the, the bad guys are completely comfortable telling the truth because the good guys won't believe a single word that they're saying. So it's almost like a taunt, like... No, I'm your father. And we have the same reaction now when Luke is is shouting no. No, Luke, he he's telling the truth as Obi-Wan is floating there going, no, it's impossible. The Jedi would have sensed it. The audience is sitting there saying, no, 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 no. That, that, that's what happened in the last movie, Obi-Wan. That's, why won't you believe him? So I, I think that you get that sort of reaction now. Well, and, and I want to say this too on, on all this. I think the films really are meant to be watched one through six. And I know plenty of people are going to think that I'm just retarded for saying that. But as you said, you watching it backwards, Bruce, backwards, I say in air quotes, dink, dink, you already know who the big bad villain is. 
Sidious, that whole mystery is completely ruined for you because you you, you know who's he gonna who's gonna turn into. It's it's so obvious, you know. Whereas kids watching it, they're like, he's just the nice fatherly figure, and now he's turned into the Dark Lord of the Sith. What the heck, you know? I mean, it's a huge reveal, and. But I also think that it makes for such a much more complex story, and it, it really adds to the original trilogy here, of the reason why Obi-Wan and Yoda might be trepidatious about being completely honest with Luke. It's not because they like being dishonest. It's because they're scared that he's going to be another Anakin. They're scared that he's going to be so attached to the idea of having a father that he's not going to be able to do what needs to be done, which is what they think is just take him down. Um, and you can understand that. It, it, it's, it's, it's a really interesting conundrum of, do I tell the whole truth or do I just give them enough to do the job that they need to do? That they really need to know. It's a parental question of, do I tell my child everything do I tell my child everything or do I just give them enough? And I, I love it because to me, I think it, it continues to add a complexity that the prequels really, I think, had in spades. It's a thing that the original trilogy doesn't have as much of. But when you watch them one through six, I think it adds a nice layer that makes the original trilogy, personally, for me, even better, more robust, more full. And that's why I would argue that I was, I, okay, I'll admit, I was in Target the other day, and I go to the toy aisle, and there are some, like, 17, 16, 18-year-old kids there arguing about which way you watch Star Wars. And all I can think, well, one, I told them you would watch them, you should watch them one through six. And before I told them that, I, I hear them talking about, oh, if you even watch the prequels, you should probably just always wa only watch three. Uh, and my thought was, the internet has destroyed our children. They wouldn't know this crap unless they'd probably read it somewhere. Or somebody had force-fed them and helped them hate something that they didn't know they should hate until somebody told them on the internet. And it made me so mad because the prequels aren't bad films. They're, they're very good films. They're not even great films. And it's great for this trilogy. And I was upset because some jerk store on the internet wrote something that some... 16-year-old kid read or somebody in their life told them the prequels were no good and they took that joy away from those kids and now they're just parroting something that they probably don't even know they should believe because they grew up with the prequels. This shouldn't even be a discussion for them. Why Why would they even care? They've The, the prequels have existed their entire life. This is not a discussion for them. But there, it's a discussion because somebody told them it should be a discussion. And let's not ruin other people's enjoyment of things just because we think it should be that way. Let's let them have their own perspective. So that's my soapbox, and that's why I was upset about that. And that's why I think we should watch... I watch them one through six now. Or I just cherry-pick a film that I just... I want to watch, you know, Attack of the Clones. So I pop it in. 
So I wrote a piece on uh, StarWarsReport.com where it wasn't about the order of watching the films. It was just how do people who've never seen Star Wars, how it's not necessarily an easy thing to get access to. You can't necessarily rent it online. You have to buy the movies, and I won't get into the whole piece. But I said how it, it don't this it dawned on me when I was checking into a hotel, I was talking to this guy when I was at Star Wars Celebration who worked at the hotel, and he said that he hadn't seen Star Wars and none of the films, but he saw a little bit of episode one. And I told him, well, you know, that's great. I said, you know, start there, finish watching episode one and watch the other six before the new movie comes out. Well, in my blog, someone replied, yeah, but if he sees episode one, he's not going to want to watch the others. That's a bad place to start. And he says, even if he gets past one, and two, he'll never go any further than that. And it, it's sad that that's the perspective. And I don't know if it the trilogies have different feels to them and there's something about the original trilogy that appeals to people and and that was their entryway and the prequels just don't work for them and so the thought is that if the prequels don't work for them nobody's gonna like star wars so don't go that route start do the four five one two three six or whatever order but it's gonna be interesting now with the force awakens there's a whole generation that that's their first Star Wars movie and they're going to come back to these and it'll be interesting to see what they think of both trilogies that happened prior to this one. Well, and the yep. geek universe right now is so full of people who are all like, don't don't put your hate on me. Don't don't hate at me. You know, like stop passing on your hate to other people. Just stop it. OK, if you don't like it. That's fine. I don't like the movie Hook. I don't make other people need to not like that movie. Go and enjoy it for all it's worth. I don't like Back to the Future Part 2. I think it's a terrible movie. If you love it, I'm not going to take that away from you. I'm not going to try and take it away there's, from you. There's one exception to this rule, and that's The Lost World, uh, Jurassic Park. Nobody should love Which that movie. Which is just movie. terrible. Nobody Everybody should ever should. love that movie. And anybody who likes that movie is a bad person and they should feel bad. I don't think that can possibly exist. There couldn't be anyone uh, that would love God. that movie or at least think it's the best. It's, Spielberg. I, it, it, I love it's that. It's an impossibility. I love that. Oh. <laughs> but, I mean, let's let people discover the films on their own terms. And you can be honest and say, you know what? It's not my favorite, but I hope you like it. You know, let's let people enjoy things for their own sense of enjoyment. Yeah. And and let's not pass on our hate. And and I don't want to do that to my kids. You know, I want them to be able to, when I have them one day, they experience it. I love right now that my niece is experiencing Star Wars and she is in love with Star Wars. She's got her little BB-8 shirt and she's got her Hera toy and she's got her Rebels and her Clone Wars and that's her Star Wars. I'm not going to, if I didn't like that, why would I want to take that away from her? You know, and so anyway. Uh, Bruce, I, I want to get to our ratings and we, we had a great, I'm really glad you brought up that point because I think it's hugely important as we're talking through this saga, but Empire Strikes Back for you, is there a rating that fits this film? There is a rating. Yes, there is. And I will give this five Dagobah caves out of five. <laughs> uh, 
there was an episode of Cloud City Casino where I mentioned that my favorite movie of all time would have to be the first Star Wars movie because it changed my life, obviously, and it kicked off Star Wars. My favorite movie right now out of the Star Wars franchise is Revenge of the Sith, but I think The Empire Strikes Back is the best movie. I know that contradicts itself, but it really is right now. Revenge of the Sith is my favorite Star Wars is the movie that changed my life, so I have to say it's my favorite movie of all time, but of the six films, it's almost a tie between Revenge of the Sith and Empire Strikes Back with Episode 3 just edging out five. You can tame multitudes, Bruce. That's fine. I, there's no reason for you to feel like you're contradicting yourself. I completely understood what you're saying. Oh, you can uh, I also <laughs> like number one, two, and six, too. Those are really great. There you go. I'm going to oh. love seven. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god what about you john <laughs> uh i will give this uh five dead admirals out of five and i think that uh again just because it's not my favorite of the bunch doesn't take anything away from it as a film it is uh, a marvelous wonderful film to watch it is entertaining from beginning to end and the character development is terrific and, uh, you know, honestly, you, you, you can't go wrong with it. Well, out of my top five favorite films, this is one of them. So I think that speaks for itself. Uh, if I had to give it some kind of rating, I, I guess I would give it uh, five out of five macaroni innards. Nice. Uh, so uh, this is a phenomenal film. And I love the fact that we got a chance to 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 get to this point talking one through six like i just love that we're almost there guys we're, we're almost at episode seven and i never thought that i would live to see the day where we would get another star wars film and the fact that it's almost here is great and like the rest of the world i'm just crossing my fingers that it's good i don't need to be great i just need to be good yeah um i just wanted so, to feel like star wars that's yeah. it that's all i want yeah exactly Exactly. Well, I, I I think it it will. Um, if you're wanting more Star Wars coverage, we have a special Star Wars feed now on iTunes for the 602 Club. It has its own Star Wars feed. So just type in Star Wars, the 602 Club, and you'll find that feed. It's got all the Star Wars shows in it. You can check that out. We're also doing the review contest right now for the Star Wars feed. So if you review that now through December, and if you've already reviewed it before, I have a special two-pack with Ahsoka and Vader in it from Rebels that could be yours. It's mint in box. It could be yours if you get picked. So I hope that you'll just give us that review there on iTunes. Obviously, with the new Star Wars feed, you know how important that is to helping people find us. Um, and go over there. Give us that review like you did on the 602 Club uh, review contest, which I really appreciate. Uh, of course, uh, if you're not on iTunes, you know that you can find us anywhere. We're on Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file and grab the RSS link as well. I'd really like to thank my associate producer, Ken Tripp, here on the 602 Club. Great guy. Without him, I couldn't be doing this show. And it's through his support on Patreon that he is a associate producer here on the 602. 
that's another way that you can really help this network keep coming to you. We are a listener-supported network, so go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can keep all of this content coming to you each week. It's a really big deal, and um, we appreciate your help because it means that these shows are clean, not ads, not full of things like that. It's just content. So check us out at patreon.com slash trekfm and how you can help us out today. Guys, I I can't do these shows without you. You are and have been the constant in the Star Wars shows and especially the trilogy here, and I'm so glad that we've talked about Empire Strikes Back. Bruce, please tell everybody where they can find you online and, of course, about your Cloud City Casino. Yes, please join us among the clouds. At Cloud City Casino, we are the official... Star Wars Report podcast for collecting and gaming and really all things fandom. And uh, so I'm on there with Michael Morris, so check us out. I also write for StarWarsReport.com, as I mentioned earlier. And you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. And John, uh, it's always a pleasure to have you in the So2 Club. I, I, I mean, of course, with Star Wars, it's part of the bylaws. You've got to be here for the shows. Uh, otherwise, I get a breach of contract and your lawyer calls it's a big Lisa mess be suing you, you not have me on the show that's ah oh god and i do not want to talk to your gungan lawyer so, um <laughs> but tell everybody where they can find you online and of course uh you've got a few five-star podcasts yourself uh the people should be checking out well uh you can find me on the trek fm network uh with mike schindler uh co-hosting uh, Commentary Trek Stars, a program where we uh, examine the non-Trek work of Star Trek creators. It's a wonderful, wonderful time. We invite it's a delightful everybody. Show, I think actually. so. I think so. I, I invite everybody over to uh, to listen. Uh, and then I am on a weekly podcast with my friend Craig uh, called Words with Nerds that you can find through iTunes and Stitcher. And uh, that's one where we're unscripted and a little zany. Um, and we talk about all the different corners of, uh, of geekery. And I'm also a uh, now an active contributor on a site called showvote.com, where I'll be bringing uh, reviews of different Star Wars books and uh, be doing um, season-long uh, Rebels episode reviews as well. So uh, come on and check me out there, too. Well, I have to say, one, I love that I've gotten my brother-in-law not only listening to the 602 Club, but he's now listening to Words with Nerds. Appreciate that. he's frequently that. talking to you guys on Twitter. I love seeing that. So glad to bring people to Words with Nerds because... Uh, oh, yeah, on Twitter. Show. I'm at Kessel Junkie on Twitter. Sorry, I forgot that one. Yeah, well, and, and it's an important place to be. So either words, you're either going to want Nerds Words on Twitter for your Nerds Words, or you're going to want Kessel Junkie. Yeah. So, or just put both of them. Heck, put Why both not? of them in there. Why not? Yeah, Go a little crazy. Yeah. And I got to say, I uh, really appreciate I loved your review of Aftermath on that site, John, and uh, Lost Stars. Great reviews. So people check those out because John's a good writer. So. Oh, shucks. Thanks, man. <laughs> well, I mean, both you guys are good writers. You're you're writing on websites now. You got your own podcast. It, it, I, I'm surrounded by talent, and I just try to keep up. So uh, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me on Instagram at MRushing. I do The Orb with Christopher Jones, where we talk about Deep Space Nine. And I also do Literary Treks with Dan, where we talk about the books and the comics of Star Trek. And 
We also talked to the authors about their new book, so check that out. It's a great show. In fact, Bruce is now an associate producer through Patreon on that show, and I really appreciate him for that. You can also find me on my own personal blog where I do a bit of writing and review movies and things like that at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It means the world to me. And may the Force be with you. Thank you.